What does it look like to be a true worshiper of the true and living God? Let brotherly love continue. Not only do we begin in loving relationships, we invest in them. And by the grace of God, He enables us to endure in those loving relationships. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths, and today we continue our series through the book of Hebrews, and we take a look at what does it actually mean to love. And Jonathan, if I heard you right, sounds like you're saying if we truly are going to be a worshiper of the living God, that means that is going to impact or at least influence the way that we love others. That's exactly right. It's very interesting that the writer to the Hebrews uses the language of worship and then focuses in on these themes, relational themes, uh, talking about lifestyle and, and ethics and our interactions with one another. You see, often when we talk about worship in kind of Christian circles, we we immediately think about what happens in church on a Sunday when we're gathered. We probably think a lot about the music that we sing and our, our what we might call our kind of time of worship. But it's very interesting that the writer to the Hebrews, when he talks about worship, he, he talks about how we behave throughout the week in relationship with one another. And he says that the true worshiper will be characterized by brotherly love. And we need to get our, our minds around that if we are going to know what worship, authentic, true worship, pleasing worship looks like. And we're going to be thinking about that together today. So let's do just that. Grab your Bible and join us in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, as we begin true worship. Here is Jonathan. Well, we know that different creatures are characterized by different signature functions. Woodpeckers peck. Beavers, well, they dam. Spiders, they spin. Songbirds, they sing. Likewise, we know that different people in different jobs are characterized by different activities in their work. Bricklayers, they lay bricks. Uh, Surgeons, they cut and they sew. Writers, write. Painters, paint. Accountants, count. (laughs) You get the idea. But here's the question. What is the characteristic activity of the Christian? What is it that we are designed to do, saved to do, set apart to do? Well, it doesn't take too much study of the Bible to conclude that the answer is, and the answer must be this, we are a people who worship. That's what our lives are about as a redeemed people. We are a people set apart for the worship of God. We were, of course, a people lost in sin and destined for judgment. But but Hebrews has reminded us of God's amazing kindness in sending his Son for us to shed his blood to cleanse us, to welcome us once again into his own presence. The the writer has shown us that through Jesus, our mediator, we now have access to heaven above. We, We come into God's very presence by faith. And in a day to come, we will enjoy the full immediacy of access to him. The God whom we approach, he is the judge of all things, Hebrews reminds us. He he will bring this present world to an end in a great act of judgment. And because of that, we are to respond to him in worship. Just remember where we left off last time, Hebrews 12, 28. 
Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. God is God. God is judge. God has saved us, but He is a consuming fire. We are therefore to worship Him. But how do we worship this God? What does it look like to offer Him our worship? Is it about singing our hearts out on a Sunday morning, as we might assume? Is that all that God requires of us as worshipers? It's a good thing to do, uh, to be sure, but it's hardly the sum total of Christian worship. We don't just come into His presence when we're in church and singing His praise. No, we're we're spiritually in His presence all the time through the priestly work of Jesus and by the indwelling of His Holy Spirit. If we belong to God, we are in His presence 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and so we are worshiping Him all the time, or at least we ought to be worshiping Him all the time. With all that in mind, we now ignore the chapter division here. It's not in the original text. And we look to the start of chapter 13 to see now how it is that we are meant to worship God. Chapter 13 is the handbook of Christian worship in everyday life. I I remember a pastor friend of mine entitled his sermon or sermon series on this chapter. He entitled it, Worship on a Monday. And that really sums things up very nicely. Well, what does it say? It begins like this. Let brotherly love continue. I think that's the the header here in a way. It sums up so much of, of what is to come. True worship will look like brotherly and sisterly love within the people of God. It's so interesting, isn't it, how very central love is to God's design for the Christian life, His design for His church. We see it actually all over the New Testament if we look again and again. The heart of Christian living and the heart of God's purpose for His people is summed up in terms of love one for another. And the call here is simply to let brotherly love continue. It's shrewd, actually, of the writer to sum up that call as a call to continue in love. It's so easy, isn't it, for that feeling and that sentiment of love to fade away very, very quickly in our relationships. That's especially common in the realm of romantic love in our society today. People speak of falling in love and then falling out of love with one another all the time. It changes just a little bit like the weather. Summer last weekend, you may remember, and then a blast of winter again for at least a brief period uh, over recent days. We know that God's design for love in marriage is something quite different from that. It's a deep commitment of, of faithfulness for the long haul. But, you know, we can be just as fickle when it comes to brotherly love within the wider church family. You know, you join a new church. Maybe you've had this experience. Perhaps having left another church where there was all kinds of strife and conflict and and just headaches galore. And of course, all the trouble was the fault of other people in that church. Uh, But you come now to the new church and uh, the welcome is warm and the people, they are so 
caring. They ask you your name and then they remember it next week. Someone invites you to their home for Sunday lunch. And you know, you say to your family when you get back to your home, what a fantastic church that is. I feel so at home. The people are so loving. You know, I just feel that I love them as well. And then you set about serving and caring for others. And it is pure bliss for three months, maybe four months if things go really well. And then someone offends you. The greeter at the door now forgets your name. Someone else lets you down in some other way. Another person does something that hurts you or a member of your family, and that feeling of brotherly affection that had just welled up within you, suddenly now the plug has been pulled out at the bottom of that, the well of love has been drained from your heart, and there ain't too much brotherly affection to go around anymore. And you quickly pack up and you move off to the next church, perhaps. What does it look like to be a true worshiper of the true and living God? Let brotherly love continue, says Hebrews. Not only do we begin in loving relationships, we invest in them. We persevere in them through all the ups and downs of life together. And by the grace of God, he enables us to endure in those loving relationships. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths, a message called True Worship. As we begin to look at Hebrews 13 today, we're going to get back to this message in just a moment. But if you ever miss part of a broadcast, because maybe you join us late or you have to leave before we're done on the radio, you can always come to the website and listen online. Just stop by EncounterTheTruth.org. You can download an MP3 for free. You can also stream the broadcast through your computer or mobile device. Again, our website address is EncounterTheTruth.org. We're able to bring you Jonathan's teaching because of your generosity. It really is your giving that keeps Encounter the Truth on this station and online. And as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to say thank you by sending you a book called Heaven, How I Got Here. It's the story of the thief on the cross. It's written by Colin Smith, and it's a great book that really helps us understand the gospel message. How our entrance into heaven and forgiveness of sin is nothing we deserve and nothing we can do on our own. It truly is a gift of salvation. We'd love to send you a copy of this book as you give a gift of any amount. You can find out more or give online at EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 833-99-TRUTH. All right, back to the message. Here is Jonathan. Okay, well, we see the broad direction of travel here, but now what are some of the specifics of this? How do we love in this enduring, continuing kind of way with brotherly affection as worshipers of God above? Well, first, according to Hebrews, we love by showing hospitality. Verse 2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. I remember once during my student days going on a a great road trip with some friends down the east coast of the United States. We were traveling on a real shoestring and we were looking for places to stay. And I remember how a friend put us in touch with his parents and and told us we could stop with them in Virginia. I'd never met these people before, never encountered them. They had never encountered us 
But the welcome that they gave to this ragged bunch of road trippers was really quite remarkable, and it stuck with me to this day. It was a lavish welcome. We could have been their very own family. They'd never set eyes upon us, but, but they were believers, and they knew that we were believers as well. And there was this extraordinary sense from the moment they opened the door, there was this sense that we were family together in the faith. Key aspect of brotherly love is showing hospitality to brothers and sisters whom we may not know, but who are in need of hospitality, a, you know, a bed for the night, a meal, just some company for a few minutes and some encouragement. Why is this so important? Why does the Bible make so much of hospitality. You may know that hospitality is actually given as one of the key qualifications for church leaders in the New Testament. If a, if a man is not hospitable, Paul tells us in 1 Timothy, then, he, then he's not qualified to provide spiritual leadership within the church. And why is that? Why does it top the worship list here? Well, just think for a moment about our homes and how much our homes mean to us. They are our most valuable earthly possession for many of us. They are places where we go to retreat and to relax afresh with our nearest and our dearest, with our family, uh, to open up our homes, to share them, to sacrifice our me time and our family time and our privacy, and instead to use our homes to serve other people through hospitality, it's actually very fundamental to what it means to be a Christian and to live the Christian life. If we are truly brothers and sisters in Christ, then welcoming one another into our homes, it is a powerful symbol and sign of our new bond together and our new identity in Christ. And in cases where outsiders, visitors come to us in need, and we welcome them into our homes, it actually says something very powerful. It says that we're living according to different principles from the rest of the world around us because our comfort in our homes, it is not the be-all and the end-all to us. And we're part of a much bigger family. I actually think that this comes as a particular challenge to us in North America and in Canada especially. In other parts of the world and in other cultures, hospitality is much more part of the fabric of the culture, much more the norm, but it is much less so here, I think. It doesn't help that our, our homes, especially in more rural areas, are, are often set at quite a distance from one another. It doesn't help that uh, here in Ottawa, we practically hibernate for six months of the year, and we don't tend to bump into our neighbors just by chance. But here is a place where we need to work just a little bit harder to overcome the cultural norms, uh, to conform to the pattern of Scripture. The time of a pandemic, of course, is not exactly the easiest time to practice this, and it, 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 it shouldn't be, I guess. But it is a great time for us to be reflecting upon what we do, what we prioritize, what we value, and what we want to do when this season is over. And for some of us, you know, we're going to hear this, we're going to notice this in Hebrews chapter 13, and we're going to recognize, actually, you know what, I haven't been as hospitable as I could. We haven't been quite as hospitable as we could. We, we've not been using our homes as kingdom assets, <laughs> 
to, to serve others. We've not opened them up to those who might really value or even need our hospitality. And maybe we need to leave this pandemic lockdown with a new resolve to be using our homes to serve brothers and sisters, especially in brotherly love. And, and who knows what might happen if we're obedient in this. Hebrews tells us that some through hospitality, have entertained angels without even knowing it. It's so fascinating, isn't it? it? That happened once or twice in the Old Testament that we know of, and it could happen again, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now, if ever there was a kind of throwaway comment in a discussion, this is it. I think we're all fascinated by angels. We don't know endless amounts about angels. The Bible doesn't speak of them all that often, actually. And so this quick mention of angels and that some have had angels in their homes without knowing it, angels over to tea, angels staying in the guest bedroom, we, we kind of get whiplash looking back and tripping over that statement, some have entertained who now? <laughs> well, angels it is. It's a little reminder to us as a side note that God's heavenly messengers are real and are active in the world. We don't know when or how, in what circumstances we may encounter them. But I think the main point here is not actually so much about angels. The main point is about hospitality and its importance. We, we don't know who God might bring across our path. We don't know what he might be seeking to achieve in his grander purposes through a chance encounter. We, we don't see the whole picture of what God is doing. Of course we don't. We see a small slice of it. But we make ourselves available to him as a worshiping people. And we have just the privilege of seeing what he might do with something as simple as our hospitality. You know, I think if we took time to share with one another stories of how Christian hospitality has changed our lives when we've received it, I expect we'd hear some amazing stories I think of an older saint I know who looks back on one particular instance of hospitality in, in the home of some believers who took an interest in him more than 75 years ago now, probably. And he would say that that hospitality really changed the course of his life and his subsequent ministry and service to others ever since. What might God do? through your hospitality and through mine. We worship by loving one another through showing hospitality. And next, we worship by loving one another through remembering the persecuted, verse 3. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. It's easy when needs are out of sight for them to be out of mind. We, we know that our world is a very, very needy place, needs all around. We know that there are plenty of people who are hungry, who are ill, who are facing the displacement and the devastation of war even today. We know that many are suffering today through the varied effects of this current pandemic. But we're very well practiced, aren't we, at sort of turning our attention away and failing to see what is around us. However, when it comes to the suffering of other believers, that should be less easy to do, and it's certainly not easy to justify. 
Think back to Hebrews 12 and that wonderful picture we had of the heavenly Jerusalem. The, the writer painted that rich and glorious picture for us of the, of the place to which we have come by faith through our union with Jesus. We have come, verse 23, you'll remember, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. In spiritual terms, the writer wants us to understand that we are gathered above in Christ by the Spirit with the whole of the global church, with all those whose, whose names are, are written in heaven, who are enrolled in heaven. And it's a matter of faith, actually, that we see this reality, that we recognize this reality. It's a matter of faith that we understand that we are united in this profound way with brothers and sisters all around the world who are in Christ. They are part with us of this grand and glorious heavenly assembly. Now, if one of those believers who's united with us by faith is in prison because of their allegiance to Jesus. If another is being mistreated some way, in some way, because they belong to our Lord, we can't simply ignore that, can we? And we really mustn't fail to care or to pray. To, to turn a blind eye and to close our heart is really a failure to recognize the spiritual reality of our bond together in Christ. Somehow, on some level, that's actually a denial of our brotherly and sisterly bond. And, and certainly it's a failure on our part to love. But true worship of the living God of Zion, it means loving the children of Zion as God loves them, especially the children who are facing persecution. And we need to know, of course, and we need to recognize that the persecution of Christian believers at the present time is a massive global problem. It is a human rights crisis on a worldwide scale. It's widely recognized by church leaders and secular authorities alike. The organization Open Doors reports that in the last year, nearly 3,000 Christians have been killed for their faith. Nearly 10,000 churches and other Christian buildings have been attacked, and nearly 4,000 believers have been detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. We've been spared much real persecution here in Canada. Who knows what the future may bring? But verse 3, it is a real challenge to each one of us, isn't it? It's certainly a challenge to me personally as I've been considering it. How much do we inform ourselves intentionally about the reality of persecution? How much do we really know of the needs of persecuted believers? How often are we in prayer for them? Probably not nearly often enough. Let brotherly love continue through remembering those who are imprisoned, those who are mistreated, those who are persecuted. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths, and we have to pause the message right here, but we'll continue this look at true worship next time. If you ever miss a broadcast, listen online. Come to EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, if you are a regular listener to this broadcast, you know that Encounter the Truth is a listener-supported ministry, and that's exactly what it sounds like. We depend on your generosity to stay on this station but as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to send you a book called Heaven, How I Got Here. It's the story of the thief on the cross. 
And Jonathan, I think this is a great book to show us that you know, salvation and entrance into heaven is entirely because of Jesus. Well, that's exactly right, and it's one of the reasons we're thrilled to be able to make this resource available, either for you, if you know Jesus, to be reminded of the wonderful story of how he welcomes that thief on the cross to join him this day in paradise, not because the thief had done anything to earn his salvation, but because of the work that Jesus was doing on the cross, even at that very time. But it's a wonderful resource, I think, to be able to share with those who don't yet have the hope of heaven because they don't know Jesus. And we want to be inviting others to receive that hope, to join us in heaven uh, through trusting in the Savior who came. And so we, we hope that you'll be able to take hold of this resource and share it as well with those who might be glad to read it and receive it. Well, we want to send you a copy of this book, Heaven, How I Got Here. Again, it's the story of the thief on the cross. Our thank you for your financial support this month. You can give your gift online at EncounterTheTruth.org or when you call us at 833-99-TRUTH. That's 833-998-7884. Or again, our website, EncounterTheTruth.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time.